Hello and welcome to the Eco Echo. I'm Ed. I'm Dylan. I'm Ahmed. And today we'll be talking about soil degradation. Now, soil degradation is the process by which the composition of soil, that's the chemical makeup of the stuff, begins to change in response to changes in its environment. And key to the environmentalist point of view, the actions of humans on the soil we use for growing crops. These chemical changes come from the overuse of regularly planted non-native plants in farming areas, depleting and then changing the environment therein, and as a consequence, removing that soil's ability to actually sustain growing plant life. This is what groups like the Natural Resource Defense Council, World Wildlife, and Science Directive began to call soil depletion and then, then followed by soil degradation. Now, Dylan, you've been looking more in depth at the scale of the problem and its wider-reaching effects. What are some of the issues soil depletion causes when it becomes a large-scale problem? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's important that we say that soil degradation is a natural process. Um, but in the last few decades, we've seen it um, being caused by human activity and sped up. So as a result of that, what um, experts have found is that a third of the planet is severely degraded. That's according to a United Nations back study in 2017. Um, they say that fertile soil is being lost at the rate of 24 billion tonnes a year and it's called for a shift away from destructively intensive agriculture. So soil, as we've kind of, we all know, is used for agriculture. That's used for food, feed and fuel, as you've said, Ed. Um, poor, poor soil quality can also affect human health in several ways. Diseases, general illness, even tetanus, hookworm. Um, and toxic elements such as aluminium, arsenic and copper. Um, these can all lead to a decline in our health. And the relationship between soil and health, it's not that clear at the moment, but it certainly does impact us. Well, from what I've been able to gather, it's something of a, uh, like I said, it's not a new phenomenon. It's been around since the 1930s in ways that we've been able to track, but it's the, the way in which we understand it, it's fairly new. So... Uh, like you said, it's, it is it is it is like a lot of things involving various aspects of climate change, a natural process that has gotten out of hand due to human interference. Okay, so my name is Dr. Dan Evans. Uh, I hold an anniversary research fellowship as a soil scientist um, at Cranfield University. Well, soil is, is a really important, you know, natural capital resource. It, you know, provides many essential services. You know, it's a global resource. Um, it's the basis of our food, a store, uh, maybe a filter for our water resources. It, it holds um, large um, organic carbon um, store and it's a great platform for development. But the problem with um, uh, soils at the moment is that they are um, uh, facing uh, a range of different types or forms of soil degradation. Um, uh, about yeah, that's right. And when it, when it declines, we see that the capacity to support the animals and plants that it hosts, let's say, is is severely impacted. When it degrades, um, soil can lose certain physical, chemical and biological qualities. So we see insects, microorganisms, plants and animals affected by this. It's it's a big deal. So it is effectively the, the bottom of the food chain, which, you know, the rest of the food chain relies upon, effectively being pulled out from under it. And like I said a moment ago, it is sort of just part and parcel, the whole sort of aspect of the climate change phenomenon. 
so um, from what from what I've been able to read up, uh, the UK soil contains about 10 billion tons of carbon. So it's not even just a problem with the food chain being affected. It has to do with the fact that we've actually seen the composition of soil that we grow things in in this country and in everywhere else in the world is being changed and it is contributing to the wider climate effects that we're having to deal with that being carbon is being released by effectively mass over farming of the countryside that we have uh, 3.9 million hectares of soil are at risk of compaction in england and wales uh, currently um, and this is often caused by heavy machinery or extended grazing seasons um, and as a result of that, soils are more likely to become waterlogged and experience ponding, and this can increase nutrient losses. Uh, you don't only lose uh, the uh, particular aspect of the soil, uh, you're not just leaching particular nutrient or you're not just losing a particular species, but you're losing the whole soil resource. Your soil, in effect, is thinning um, uh, in terms of its, uh, you know, it, its um, depth to bedrock. And so you're land degradation is seen as one of the biggest contributors to climate change. Um, studies and experts have found that two-thirds of all carbon stores, let's say, in soil and vegetation have actually been lost since the 19th, 19th century through this um, land degradation. Yeah, um, in fact, uh, I've I'm, like I've got something up from the Environment Agency here that sort of says that farmers around ma farmers worldwide manage around seventy percent of all land. That is this huge industry that underpins effectively all of modern civilization, but that has been inherently flawed for decades. And in the way that we deal with things, and in the way that our food chain works at the moment. So, as you've said, Ed. Soil is a finite resource, and the loss and degradation of it isn't recoverable within a human lifespan. It's overlooked, and it's extremely valuable. It's essential to all of Earth's ecosystems. It helps break down organic matter. It suppresses parasites and disease. It provides resistance, to, resistance rather, to even erosion, which we see being escalated because of climate change. It's... It's the core of, of everything, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah, it is the most sort of... It, it's almost symbolic when you look at it because, I mean, you know, climate change being such a, the widely and heavily talked about thing that it is, and then you've got this sort of very naturalistic element on the uh, ground of it, sort of like, you know, you've got the literal image of Mother Earth being ripped up by a huge industrial machine. It's sort of... It's quite... It's quite symbolic, as I said. So... When you've got this sort of huge problem, and it has all the problems that you just talked about, and it's got massive carbon releases that contribute to global warming, you've got that will be destroying native habitats just with the sheer amount of land that farming takes up. You know, like I said, 70% of land coverage is devoted to farming in this country. And all of these different factors. And then you've got to consider the simple fact that, again, it is the underpinning bottom part of the food chain, which the rest of the chain relies upon. And they reckon in this country, I'm not too sure about anywhere else, but in this country we have about, what, 60 harvests left? That's 60 years of sustainable farming left in this country if methods continue as, as is? Before, what, massive inevitable famine is the, is the worst case scenario, I think, in anyone's head? Yeah, and we see that that soil degradation, it's sped up by a number of things, isn't it? The, the cause of this is natural, but it's also caused it's accelerated rather by human acti activity such as intensive farming practices like deforestation 
um, forest fires, construction work, and overgrazing. Yeah, like you said, like as you, as we've sort of said a couple of times, soil degradation, or more accurately, soil depletion, is effectively a human. It, it is a, it is a natural process that has is effectively meant to happen to a degree. It's just that the level to which it happens due to human interference is what makes it such a potentially disastrous subject. I mean, um, one of the big things that I've found about it is that um, 80% of treated sewage in the UK is applied to agricultural sort of practices. That's literally, like, effectively our attempt to sort of recycling the waste that we have in our society. But the problem is that sewage doesn't just contain various organic things that can actually go into that. It also contains in many cases metals, microplastics, and a lot of different effectively organic pollutants that just don't break down correctly into soil, which means that you've effectively got soil now being filled up on a microbe level with stuff that it can't use to effectively create the new basis of the food chain. Mm -hmm. And even though experts and scientists aren't sure about the connection between that poor soil quality and our health... The fact that we see toxic elements in soil from waste, um, and that can include aluminium, arsenic, copper, it doesn't sound like that would be too good for our health, is it? And of course, we see that soil being used in agriculture for food, for plants. Hmm. Then we're losing our ability to grow food. We're losing our ability to store and uh, filter clean water um, we're losing our ability to take carbon from the atmosphere and store it within the soil which we know we can do with the right management approaches um, and that will help us to uh, address aspects of climate change and uh, as such if we're letting soils degrade we're uh, uh, losing our ability to develop a uh, sustainable society so overall the depletion and degradation of soil leads to an overall decline in the ability to use that soil and for that soil to carry out its natural functions this means that it doesn't just Im- impact what is living in that soil at that time it has global consequences it can even contribute to food shortages higher prices eco destruction and far worse we can even link war to this source of change. Well, it's, it's like with anything, like the thinner a resource is on the ground, the more people are going to fight over it so they can have it. Mm. When, with something as important as just, you know, basic food production, it doesn't take a genius to see how that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it is a far bigger subject than, than we make out. And although it can often sound boring and yeah because even though we're talking about literal dirt in the ground if you were to take a teaspoon of topsoil that's basically the stuff you grow in you'd find more microbes than there are people on earth and with the consequences of what we have heard and the importance of what we're talking about it's easy to see why our soil reserves are worth saving so the simple question is how and can we save them um yes there i think there is a possibility of a solutions and like, for example, you could plant as much as uncultivated land as possible. Um, how does that work? Um, uncultivated land, so doesn't isn't cultivation like a significant part of like farming? Yeah, like, like obviously the 
the land that I've already cultivated, that's one thing. But like, let's say like new lands, like older lands, like the ones that are, are not cultivated. Other approaches that allow farming to continue include things like cover cropping, uh, where plants are grown between the cropping seasons and this protects the soil surface, reduces the likelihood of erosion. Um, very small scale, um, perhaps uh, the mundane um, aspects of farming, such as which way you plough your field. We found that ploughing along the contours across a field rather than downslope um, has an effect on reducing erosion. So Ahmed, what you're suggesting is is one of those solutions is that we we plant on land that has not yet been used yeah. for for agriculture. Yeah. And I think in itself that could be a problem for future generations because you, there's only going to be so much. So like the general problem that I think you'd run into there, although it does it would be effectively just running out of new land to be able to plant things on which is what which is where i think you would run into a sort of more extensive part of that solution which would be effectively cycling through land effectively as you use that new uncultivated land you leave other land that has been used by f farming repeatedly bare for a, at least a good good long period of time several decades and it effectively gives that land a chance to refresh and re-fertilize for lack of a better term so that it becomes usable again, and then you effectively keep it on a cycle like that. I yeah. think the key question with that is, though, th there would have to be uh, economic and political incentives for people to do that, for that, that land to be made available. As, for example, if I had the same problem in my garden, I could just, you know, keep using another patch of, uh, of soil, let's say. But if you look at the world... Often you can't just go to other soils. That land would have to be made available. You know, there's probably a reason why that hasn't been used for for agriculture before, isn't there? It probably belongs to somebody else, you know. Yeah, but then you can say they have more space to fix the problems. I, I, like, ju I just thought that I'd make maybe a bit of a... A, d a devil's advocate. Yeah, I mean, you can you can use that space to fix the problems and start mm. from scratch rather than get uh, a soil that's already been depleted and been uh, like ruined and then try to fix that one mm -hmm. get a new one that's fresh that has, hasn't been touched mm. and, then you, and then you harvest your crops so you, yeah. your, your, your plants and whatever essentially the most important thing to do in a sustainable land management plan is to control erosion and what we found actually is that converting arable land to either forest or grassland, permanent grassland, um, is one of the best ways actually of reducing soil erosion. We can incorporate things like terracing, um, which is similarly beneficial, it reduces the rates of, of erosion. And so we have the tools and practices out there to make a difference and imply, employing these conservation methods in the right place at the right time can really help protect and enhance our soil resource in the future of, of food and farming. Yeah, I think the thing is, obviously this would be a sort of a good way of sort of nipping it into the, in the bud and actually trying to fix the problem and sort of like widening the scope by which we uh, look at it and sort of effectively just nationalizing the way in which we 
allow farming to occur so that it, we do have more control of it and we could make measures like this. But the problem in that is, of course, that you could, if improperly managed, cause the problems that you're going to end up trying to avoid anyway. I mean, there's been an unfortunate history of people attempting to control the places and people who are allowed to do farming, resulting in famines. I think this is the problem. Is it destructive? Is it intensive? S solutions are solutions, you know, good and bad. This is a short-term solution, but in a way, that would be dest destructive long-term. That would be doing the exact same thing over and over again. You know, um, the United Nations, um, a United Nations back study found that a third of the planet's land is severely degraded anyway. So what we're going to do, just degrade more and hope, you know. So that comes back to something that I was saying a second ago, and that is to do with um, effect effectively how the, how the solution is supposed to work, is that it's not just like letting soil become degraded again, because, yeah, that just wouldn't work. It's letting, it's rotating which parts of soil we're actively using. So yes, one part of that soil is going to be gradually degraded, but another part is going to be allowed to recover. So it's like, you said about a third of the world's, world's soil, what source did you cut that from? Um, that is from a United Nations backed report. So obviously, like the United Nations is able to say that about a third of the world's soil is either degraded or getting to the point of being dangerously degraded. So what that would effectively mean is that we would use the two other thirds of the soil that is just fine while leaving that third as is and allowing vegetation to grow on it, which according to the NHM effectively allows it to recover and get back to the point where it's usable again, and effectively that one third of soil across that course of a lifetime, across those sort of 60 harvests, is able to get its usability back. But but it, it, is that effective? Because the Turkish Foundation for Combating Soil Erosion, let's say, they said that regions which host one third of the world's population, which is 45% of the total agriculture land, 50% of the livestock that we have, all that land, they say one third of that percentage is actually at risk of... Desertification. De de so while while there are sort of like the issues with crop rotation and the idea that like um as as Dylan was sort of trying to say earlier, the um problem with crop rotation as many people have been been trying to point out is that um effectively it doesn't work in the long term and that the large portions of the world that do do most of the heavy lifting in regards to food production will be at risk of desertification, which is effectively the death of the land that's being used there in its entirety. One of the main things that have sort of been put out there as a substitute for that kind of solution is instead to instead of just sort of varying the way the amount in which we farm is to vary the way in which we farm to use more sustainable practices to um, encourage individual people actually to grow their own produce in their own effectively completely fresh gardens which is which links back to what Ahmed was saying earlier about um, using those sort of uncultivated lands that we have effectively using your own individual lands in your own in your own property yeah I, th I think that's a really good form of the mitigation that we see that scientists sort of say that we've got to do what we're, we're mitigating at this point until we can get that soil back in generations we're mitigating the the harm that we've done and that we are probably most likely going to do that we can't really avoid because of the dependence we have on this soil there's another thing as well, that's in, and that is generally, from what I've been able to read up on the subject, um, effectively, 
when you uh, grow a particular type of crop, and by that particular I mean a single type of crop in an area over and over again, that is something that will damage soil much more so than using a variety. So a lot of farmers, particularly in this country, are actually being encouraged to use a wide variety of crops in their individual fields one after another, which will actually keep the chemical composition of soil in a much healthier state for a much more protracted period. So a strong idea and thing that many governments and uh, groups involved in preventing this are trying to propose is effectively educating both farmers and just people on the ground in how to keep their productions varied so as to keep the soil that they're planting in healthy. So... There are some really innovative ways of 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 trying to fix this problem, and the Eden Project uh, and the Eden Foundation in Nigeria um, works on educating farmers and growing certain certain plants that protect the soil against heavy rain. Um, this plant coverage stops the soil from being degraded further by the weather. So it's a form of mitigation. So as we see that the soil is often overlooked and so are the solutions. They're really complex and... In some cases, some of them don't even seem to work. Yeah, that's right. But what we, but what we can say is that mitigation, education and... The, Basic solutions are actually the most effective. For example, soil management practices are considered to be the most vital and sustainable problem short-term and medium-term. Um, they can help control further soil, er- soil erosion caused by climate change and human activity. Um, this sort of management could include um, crop rotation, as Ahmed discussed earlier. Um even, you know, maintaining the waterways more, um, better drainage, things like that can actually really make a difference. Um, governments can help regenerate areas, um, political efforts in forest management, um, wildfires can actually really make a difference. And they're the sort of solutions that that are the most effective at the moment. Um, unfortunately... It's really hard to make any kind of effort in this because of how widespread of a problem it is and how many people it affects. Yeah, as we said earlier, the soil depletion and degradation is actually a natural change in itself. We're speeding it up, as we said. So we don't really have a way of changing that. So so effectively it boils down to we have to slow down the effect that we're having on it and come up with the natural effect that normally has counteracted this in nature that's right and i think it says it all when the solutions that we're talking about are actually purely mitigation and prevention Hmm. there's no going back and that's why it's really important for us to to change the way we actually do things because we can't keep going forwards and backwards you know on all these issues in these podcasts often there's no proper solution, is there? It's it's almost too late for our generation to actually to make everything better. It's because it, because at the end of the day, it is a, it is an effect where all that we can do is hit the brakes on the stuff that we've done damage on, and then just leave the world to sort of fix the actual problem itself. Because it, that's the ultimate only way that we can go about it. That's right, and agriculture is is massively important. It's how we get our food. It's 
soil is where our, our animals, you know, are is where is where animals get their feed from. Hmm. If that is depleted so much, if that is degraded so much, we see famine, as you've mentioned. We see people go against their governments. Conflicts can break out. The Syrian civil war can be traced back to climate change, so many experts, hmm. because of a lack of rainfall, because of lack of government action. This is a, a massive sign of our times. Hmm. And, it, and it can seem like it's a world away, because, you know, Syria it is quite literally half a world away. But the fact is that within by the end of our generation, we could be seeing similar, if not the exact same problems repeated here, because that is effectively, the sa- as Dylan said, the same causes and effects coming around to hit us as, they, it, was hit, as it hit those people at that period of time. Yeah, I think, I think this is the, prob- the problem I have with mitigation. Mitigation is sort of avoidance control, isn't it? It's, let's mitigate that fire. That fire's burning. How can we sort of like save a few things? That's what mitigation is, isn't it? Well, look, it's too late for prevention at that point. Yeah, and that's the problem I have. I think when we say all oh, mitigation, we have to be clear that we're having to mitigate because the problem's already out of control. Because we've messed up, and it, and it's too late to go back. And that's all from this episode of the Eco Echo. Next week, we'll be talking about recyclables and what happens when they're not managed properly.